0: All right, we are here today with Kadiatu in, what's it called, McNally's Jackson Bookstore. And she's gonna tell me a bit about her story and um, how she got here and where she's from and tell me about the intellectual pursuit she's up to as well. So, go right ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, my name is Kadiatu. Like my partner says, I'm a perpetual immigrant. Uh, I was born in Mali, uh, grew up in Gabon since my parents were uh, teaching in Gabon uh, and I moved to New York in 2010 for college and ended up staying because of the opportunities mm-hmm. um, uh, and really it, it quite didn't make sense to go back home because I don't feel like I have a home mm-hmm. <laughs> because. Um, growing up in Gabon I was always seen as uh, The Malian girl mm-hmm. But then when I would go on vacation in Mali People would call me The Gabonese girl Oh interesting So, And now that I moved here People back home You know whether it's like Gabon or uh, mm-hmm. Mali they look at me and they Say oh now you're American mm-hmm. But really I'm not mm-hmm. um,
0: So yeah so, your parents were teaching in Gabon, and why were they teaching there? What was the push and pull factors for why they uprooted you or made you, or the family move? Like, what happened there?
1: So, in the early or mid-70s, uh, the Gabonese government was looking to hire more science teachers to um, Because Gabon is a very small country and they were getting right out of the uh, independence movement. So they didn't have the resources and the labor to teach uh, all the classes and all the subjects. So they reached out to many countries, um, specifically in West Africa, um, like Mali, Senegal, um, Cameroon... Mm -hmm. uh, Togo, Benin, mm-hmm. and uh, offered to hire uh, people who were either right out of the uh, teaching mm-hmm. uh, university mm-hmm. or who were already teaching mm-hmm. there. So that's how I'm, well, the first person to get a contract was my dad, mm-hmm. and uh, basically he put my mom on, and they both were hired and moved to. A small town actually at first they weren't in the capital which was very interesting for them um to be in a whole different country in a whole different part of Africa mm-hmm. because uh west africa is very different than central africa very very different uh different cultures different languages different food um it's just it's it's very different so they moved there um they already had my older sister and my brother Uh, my first brother Mm -hmm. and then my other brother who is before me was born in gabon so they ended up getting another contract to teach in the capital which was much better for them um, because the other town was pretty rural um, so they didn't have that much access to a lot of things so they moved to the capital um, in, I would say, like in
0: the 80s. What's the capital of Gabon?
1: Uh, Libreville mm-hmm. in the 80s. And uh, basically, the only reason why I was born in, well, there's two reasons I was born in Mali. First, my mom did not like the experience of getting giving birth to my brother in Gabon. She was like, you know... She, the the the, um, the nurses were rude and it's a whole different culture. And they are a little bit xenophobic mm-hmm. in Gabon, uh, especially towards people from West Africa. So she did not want to give birth to me in Gabon. And also I was born during vacation in September. So it was the perfect time for her to go back to Mali and give birth to me there. So... I was brought back, I guess you can say back, (laughs) to Gabon when I was about like two weeks old. Um, And a lot of people actually that I grew up with think I was born in Gabon because Mm of that, but really I wasn't. Uh, So that's how I ended up living there and growing up there because they had a contract with the government. And, you know, they didn't really feel a need to break the contract since, you know, it's kind of like the mentality of like, working uh at a company almost um for like 30 years like having a career and then retiring and getting a pension gotcha so yeah but they recently moved back to mali about like three four years ago
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because you know they they're they're not gabonese they didn't want to naturalize in gabon um but they now kind of regret it a little bit (laughs) because after spending like 30 plus years in a whole different country, it's very hard to go back and readapt themselves, you know, to the Malian culture Mm -hmm. and the Malian lifestyle and the food and you know, Um, but yeah, that's how I ended up in Gabon
0: And what is um, what would you say are the primary differences between Malian culture and Mm -hmm. and Gabonese culture? Because they both speak French as one of the main languages, yes? yes. And then what are the other languages spoken Mm and, you know Things that are happening in both countries mm-hmm. that maybe parallel each other or might be very distinctive. So
1: they both speak French as uh, the main or like the official language. Um, in Gabon, there's about forty plus other languages that are spoken. Oh, wow! Yeah, that's not a very big country either. It is. It is not. The population is about two million. What? Or two point five million. It's very small. Mali is much bigger. And there's probably about 100 plus languages okay. spoken in Mali. I would say the m- main differences are in the food and the climate. Mali is very dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, desert. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's desert. of a Sahara mm-hmm. desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabon is very humid. It's kind of like the Floridian type of mm-hmm. weather.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In terms of like the politics because that's also a big part of like the culture Gabon is um, I mean after the independence I know in the 90s there was a little bit of a a civil like conflict but it's a very stable country um, politically wise Mali has been struggling with um, civil wars but Specifically in the north, and right now, for the past couple of years, it's been very almost well, crazy in the north because mm. now there's terrorism in place, and there's uh, the Tuaregs who want to um, install like a secession and separate from Mali mm. and create their own state. So, there's a lot going on in the north which is also affecting the South where is actually where there's the capital, Bamako. Mm -hmm. And also Mali is a poor country. There's a lot of people. I think (laughs) the population is probably like 14, about 14 or 12 millions. Oh, wow. Um, Gabon is technically very rich. They have every single type of mineral you can think about. Um, They have oil um, and the fact that it's also a coastal country is very important because they have access to many different things Mm -hmm. and they're able to export and import um, much easier. Uh, Mali is a continental country, um, so that affects both the economy Mm -hmm. and also uh, the diet Mm -hmm. because In Gabon, you will eat a lot of like seafood, a lot of like vegetables, a lot of fruits. And in Mali, there are lots of fruits, but seafood, not so much. And it's expensive. Um, So getting access to certain food um, types is very hard. And I think that's one of the things that my parents struggle with, especially my mom because she's diabetic. Mm. So, yeah, it's her. Since she moved, her um, insulin—I mean, she has to, she had to be on insulin because her sugar levels just weren't stable because the food is so much different. Um, so I think those are like the main differences. And in terms of the cultures, the different cultures, it's 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 really not the same. The it's really not the same. There's so many different um, differences in the cultures that it's you know it's just. Yeah,
0: yeah, and they've and they've adapted yes. to Gabon, which you know has access to more things. It's a poor mm-hmm. country, so mm-hmm. that means also you have that import-export factor as well, trading right. Things mm-hmm. uh, and goods, whereas Mali is it is in the Sahara Desert, like yeah. it's, yep. it's mm-hmm. and you have you know politically, people are trying to succeed, which I can only imagine how that affects. Just the stability of the country. You mm-hmm. mentioned that they were that there's also some like ethnic cleansing or
1: yes. So uh, what's going on in the south? Um, a couple of hours from the capital is uh, there's the Dogon the people who are basically fighting with the Fulani people, uh, and they each like blaming each other. As they do. Yeah, the Dogon are saying the Fulani are supporting the terrorists and the Fulani are saying the Dogon are like trying to take over their uh, territory. Mm. So in the past few months, there's been a lot of killings of the Fulani mainly. (laughs) Um, because the Dogon are like uh, hunters, and you know, so they have guns and stuff like that. Gotcha. And the Fulani are more like farmers. Farmers, as I was say, I bet you they're yeah. farming in community. So, yeah, yeah. You know, recently there's been like a hundred Fulani people that were killed in like a village, and it's very scary, specifically for me because my mom is Fulani, although she's um, from a different part of uh, the country. You know. It's still kind of like so. If I'm Fulani and I want to travel somewhere, it's like,
0: it's it's touching stuff. Yeah, it's dangerous. You know?
1: um, plus, there's been like random acts of terrorism in the city in in in, in the capital. Um,
0: so it's really it's really unstable right now over there. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's hard, obviously. Yeah. And and your parents have moved back there. And yeah, they're probably like, ah, we moved from a more stable, prosperous country back to our home land, which is going through issues. Right. And they're in the capital, I imagine. Yes, they are. And you said they're teachers or professors, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, So is there any protection given to them being professors or anything? Not at all.
1: (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I mean, um, no. Oh. No. That's it. It's. I mean, they. They. Um. I think recently they had like a guardian, you know, that they hired, mm-hmm. um, for security purposes, obviously, because there's also like, um, uh, uh, teeth. Yeah. my God. Of course. You know. Of course. So, um, but there's no like. There's no entity or you know anybody that would like, be, assuming that role.
0: Okay. So like the wild wild west in that regard yeah. so they're just there and that's stressful mm-hmm. and you mentioned your older siblings who do they what was that like because they're a bit older than you they mm-hmm. were living they probably have a different perspective also because they lived more in Gabon right mm-hmm. or uh, and then they moved where did they move to afterwards so my sister
1: was the first to move to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she moved to New York And she was going to uh, the the Staten Island, the College of Staten Island. Um, And then because that was very expensive, um, she transferred to like, uh, I think she transferred to, at some point she was, she moved to Tallahassee and she really liked it there, but hurricanes. So many. (laughs) So so she had to move uh, back to New York um, and uh, went to like, Prince College and at some point around 2005 2004 she uh, she moved to Virginia Norfolk uh, and she's been back and forth between Virginia and New York because it's kind of close my other brother uh, Boubacar he moved to Houston directly Mm -hmm. from uh, Gabon and uh, we have a bunch of like uh cousins in brackets because we're africans and we call everybody that we grew up with cousins yes you do so (laughs) we're not related but we're cousins absolutely because we grew up together Mm -hmm. and uh we have a big community of them in houston Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of like gabonese in houston as well Mm, Um, so it's like a big community there and you know he was a big you know, he was very welcomed in that community. And then my other brother, Mohammed, also moved to Houston. But actually he um translated in New York. He he did his uh ESL, English as a Second Language in New York. And then after that he moved to Houston. So when I graduated high school, my brother Mohammed was kinda like, You know what, you should go to France. And I was like, I don't want to go to France. 'Cause I don't like the French like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's a weird relationship when you are from uh, you know, a colonized um, country, continent. So to like move to that colonial power country is disturbing.
0: Oh I can yeah.
1: And I, I don't know if it's because I was too woke as a child but it was very disturbing to me uh, and I also was hearing like horror stories of like how like French certain like white French people would treat like other Africans especially Malians because there's a big community, Malian community in French I mean in France um, and some of them are undocumented so um, there's a lot of like racism and xenophobia there and I never thought you know I would be able to like fully integrate and be happy if i move to france um but a lot of my friends moved there because from gabon that's like there's a joke in gabon that says that uh france is like the 10th um state of gabon of course because they're so close Mm -hmm. to each other politically speaking so when my brother was like, "You should move to friends," I was like, "No." And then it was also too late because the process to get a visa and get like a, a, an inscription or um, to the to the in the university would it takes like months. It takes basically your like the last six months of like your senior year to do that, wow. and you go to like interviews and stuff like that before mm. they can even give you a visa. So we were like, all right, so I guess you're going to come to this, you know, to the U.S. And the plan was also for me to transit to New York and then move to Houston. But I think my brothers were kind of like, and I was also kind of like, Houston is very small. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's big, but it's it's it's, small mentality. yes. Right. So I was like, you know, I moved to New York did my ESL at Mm LaGuardia and uh, because I entered in a very high level, there's basically 10 levels in the ESL and I was like level seven. Mm -hmm. uh, I could directly apply to the college. So I applied and got in and I was, it was just kind of like, Oh, well, I guess I'm staying in New York. So um, I went to LaGuardia for a couple semesters and uh, my goal was to be a nurse because, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. And then I was like, you know, that's a lot of years in school. So many years. And I was like, you know what? I i am going to do something medical and I want to be a nurse because I, I, I like helping people and taking care of people. And uh, I started to go like the nursing classes, all the biologies and, and, and chemistry classes And then because of my immigration status, I couldn't go on with it. Mm. And I started looking at other options. So I went into human services. Mm. And I was like, you know, that's still like social work and I can still take care of people. And then I was like, but what can I really do with this? You know, when I really started thinking about like the work, I was like, but really, would I really be helping people? And I took, a, as part of my uh, general requirements, I took a global politics class. And I fell in love with politics. And I was like, this, I love this. And I applied to City College, got in to their international studies um, program. So I graduated in international studies with a concentration of international relations and public policy. And it's been interesting because I'm not even using that degree right now.
0: No one ever is. <laughs> Nobody ever does, dear. Nobody ever does. So um, that's basically how
1: I ended up in the U.S. because my family was already, like part of my family was already here. Mm. Um, and, you know, from there, it's been like a very interesting um, journey.
0: Yeah, I imagine. And also, it's so important to note, like, having family that's in the country can really help.
1: Definitely. And
0: it gives you some sort of support network and also visibility into, like, where you're going to. Yes. Like, you knew enough to know that you didn't want to go to Houston because it didn't have the type of, like, open-mindedness or personality or energy that you're looking for mm-hmm. uh, also Texas can be quite conservative Houston is unique it is a large city mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of you know international people there mm-hmm.
1: but, but it's not in New York
0: um, <laughs> No. as someone from the Dallas area I know that like Dallas is changing there are people from all over moving there because of the big mm-hmm. business but it's still is a very long way to go to have the open mindedness yeah. and connectedness to culture that New York City has mm-hmm. so I totally relate Uh, I also know moving to New York was easier because my sister lives there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was going to come either way, but I could (laughs) crash at her house. And it's not just like a house. It's a place where there's, like, she's established here. She's been here a while. So I have that blessing. So Mm -hmm. I get that. Uh, And also quite the story. Like Mm -hmm. you were were like, I think it was fate that going to France didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I completely understand that perspective of, not as someone as an immigrant, but as my parents and the whole. My dad had the opportunity to go to the UK when he was leaving Ghana, and he was mm-hmm. like, "No, I'm not going to go to the colonizers' house. He's like, <laughs> I'm not going there." <laughs> and, and, and and I have uncles and aunts who live in the, in London, and they love it. But it's also like a running joke in our family yes. that like they live in London. Look yeah, like yeah. it's like London's great. Like love it, mm-hmm. but it is like they colonize. Ghana, in a way that was very aggressive, and um, is still a remnant of that, is in everything from like the castles. It's not just the English, the Mm -hmm. Dutch, the Mm -hmm. Portuguese. It's just, it's everywhere and it's horrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really would, you know, recommend when people go to African nations to go to these port cities and really see the history, the tours, because you will learn some dark, dark things. (laughs) Uh, And it's, uh, yeah, it's crucial. But going to france i mean the french perspective i did have a friend or i do have a friend who has lived there and and people who are whether they be of you know caribbean heritage or Mm -hmm. also um you know middle eastern heritage and that whole french people are abruptly racist Um, there are (laughs) and spanish people are too americans are everyone is but Mm -hmm. i'm saying there's a particular tinge of french racism which is like
1: well i would say that um I mean two of my best friends uh, live in France, and uh, the the type of conversations we are able to have in the us about racism and about you know black and white and Hispanic or Latinx conversations they're not happening in Europe like that no and everybody just tries not to have them and it's it is definitely a push on the french part to have people assimilate like don't try to be like it it's it, once you french like you should be french french there's no it's not like here you can be chinese american and be proud of it you know yeah uh there it's like no if you're french then you have to be like just french you know weird very weird very it's weird. weird um so it i definitely think you know i made the right choice yeah not to go
0: there i think you did too and i've heard a running joke about uh you know whether it be like african soccer player or football players yes. in france they're like yes. well they're from Mali or Gabon uh if if france loses but if they win they're french exactly it's,
1: <gasps> no it's a real thing and it's been like that even since i was a kid growing up you know like because you know, African countries have always provided with the soccer players um, from, like, years and years and years. Of course. It's so, in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah, whether you're, like, uh, Algerian mm-hmm. or, like, from Mali or from Senegal um, and you're playing for the French team. I mean, when you... It, it was interesting because last year during the World Cup, the with Instagram now, you know, you could see like the players having fun like playing african music playing uh, you know all types of caribbean music and dancing to it wearing their french um uniforms as soccer players but you know there were a couple of people who were just kind of salty about it you know because Technically, they're French, but you can't ignore where you come from just because now you're French.
0: No, it doesn't work like that. You don't just shroud all of your background and upbringing to be a French person. Right. That's weird very strange, very. Uh, and I feel like the reverse happens in America. People like to forget and like ignore it. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm like, you're all immigrants at some point. <laughs> the only people who are native are the first peoples, and they yes. were fucked out over in general. So let's yes. let's calm down. Let's yeah. let's breathe a little bit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just going back to that and moving to New York and mm-hmm. that whole process which is a lot. You went to LaGuardia High School which is or was like LaGuardia cuz LaGuardia is a college. So we yes. your ESL so was through their college. It,
1: it was through well it's basically through the college mm-hmm. um but uh it's more like reading, writing, um and speaking mm-hmm. classes and also you get a class to prepare you for the TOEFL which is like the uh, English yep exam. exam yeah. Yeah, so I took the exam like after my first semester, uh, passed
0: it, and you know, just went on with the college. <laughs> yeah, but is that it's that what was that whole like? How did it feel? Because you're learning another language. Yes, you're also young, so younger people absorb yes. it a little bit better. Were there people who were <laughs> significantly older in your class mm-hmm. as well?
1: Yes, actually there were. Um, so I was, uh, I think I turned nineteen in the U.S. in 2010. And uh, it was interesting because in the ESL, there were a lot of people from like 20 in the 20s, in the 30s and 40s. And I don't know why, but usually a lot of like older people gravitate around me. I've always had like older friends (laughs) and it was somewhat easier for me, I would say, because In Gabon, through middle school, from middle school to like high school, you have to learn English like that's it's part of your uh, the subjects that are being taught. And then um, I think once you transition to like your last year of middle school, you have to pick up another language. So I did uh, English. or I was already doing English in uh, Gabon. The only thing is I was better at writing it than speaking it because Mm -hmm. I didn't need to speak it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so and I also learned German, which I forgot because I'm not using it, but did you use it a little bit on your trip a bit? German, mm, Just like a few words. and it, it's it's I was preparing myself to use it. and I was disappointed almost because everybody speaks English there. It's, yeah, in Berlin, yes. <laughs> Wild. I was like, how come everybody speaks English? Mm-hmm. And people would just see me and walk up to me and speak English. Yeah. And I'll be like, how do you know yeah. I speak English? Like it was crazy. That's but it you know, it's it's good because you like you end up being pretty comfortable because there's no hard uh communication yeah going on. But um so in the ESL, really what I needed to work on was Adjust to like hearing people speak, Mm -hmm. you know, and understanding what they were saying, the accents, and also work on my accent, you know, and work on like speaking the, you know, the language. And also, I was very, I was very shy when I moved here. I was very shy, and you know, I had to, I had to like be like, all right, get out of your comfort zone, because if you don't, you you're not going to be able to stay here. Yeah. So you have to do the work. And, you know, I started going out a little bit more, hang out with my friends, a little bit more friends that I made at the ESL. And they were mostly um, Koreans. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um,
0: I love that. Because it's just such an interesting... Did you ha- have a lot of interaction with Koreans before coming to New York?
1: Not really. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> Not at all, but somehow that's you know those are the the friends I made I met a couple of people from Brazil from you know other countries but but Africans yeah yeah yeah, yeah. somehow i i I had Korean friends I had Brazilian friends mm-hmm. but um an Ecuadorian friend Peruvians. But I didn't have any African friends.
0: Okay, yeah, that happens. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that was very interesting for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And so then after that, after like being in school and in college, when did you say that you found your footing in New York? And where were you living? Where are the different neighborhoods where you living in
1: So since I've been here, I've been in Brooklyn, uh, and uh, I've. Lived in Crown Heights, Bed Stuy, and recently Bronxville. Okay. Um, but I've always lived in Brooklyn, um, and I I don't think, I don't think I could live anywhere else.
0: <laughs> so yeah, you feel. So right now, yeah, you live in a variety of places mm-hmm. for sure. And do you feel that like, that's really helped mold your perception of
1: New York? Oh, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. So I recently moved to Brownsville from Bed-Stuy and I was a little bit heartbroken to move out of Bed-Stuy because it was just getting too expensive. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I always loved Bed-Stuy and I had my places, my core places that I always went to, you know, whether it's like a gallery space or a restaurant or a coffee shop, you know, I was just very comfortable there. But I would say that Brownsville has been a little bit of a um, rooting thing for me. Because when I first came to the U.S., actually, I visited uh, in 2006 with my mom. So we visited my sister uh, when my nephew was born. And uh, she was living in uh, uh, East New York. And uh, we used to hang out a lot in stuy and uh, Midtown so I was already used to Bed-Stuy from there so when I moved in 2010 uh, and we were like in Bed-Stuy it was, it felt comfortable for me um, then we were in Crown Heights and it was still comfortable because Crown Heights is really like right there to next to uh, Bed-Stuy so I felt some type of grounding. But um what's interesting with Brownsville right now is that it looks like Bed-Stuy like 10 years ago. Mm. So it's been a little bit of a going back to like what I first experienced when I moved to Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Um So it's very interesting. That's very but interesting. I do see it changing and uh, I am... Very sure that it's gonna, you know, catch up to Bedstuy in a few years. Of course, um, and uh, it's unfortunate, but it's also part of life.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, it's definitely gentrification—the G word—and mm-hmm. how that affects the the fabric of communities and and the push and pull factors of the people who've been living there and the mm-hmm. percent preservation that's needed to. Mm -hmm. enable them to stay there uh is there's so much work and it's it's so prevalent in new york city you can see it at face value whereas if you live in cities for example dallas it's harder to see because you're in your car except you notice that the you know the neighborhoods are changing and the storefronts are different and Mm -hmm. it's more expensive Mm -hmm. Um, whereas here you walk down the street and you're like whoa, this is weird this entire street has completely different buildings yes um, mm-hmm. or, or all of a sudden, it looks like there are a lot more people who are white who are walking into this neighborhood yeah. and there was nobody white before. Yes. Uh, and so you can see it and it's, mm-hmm. and it's, you're like, at one point, you're like, oh, this place is, or this, you know, town is more safe. But then you're like, well, then, but it's also more expensive and can I like even really afford it now because right. of like what's happening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, understood, understood. And in terms of the situation, In New York City. So you got here in like 2010. Mm -hmm. Obama's president. Yes. And that's a whole... That's ushering in a whole era of Mm -hmm. what we had hoped to be this progressive cultural shift. Mm -hmm. And what did that feel like moving here? Like you're coming from on like what's happening abon at that time and what's happening in the states like was it mirroring each other or was it like a very different perspective
1: um so my senior year of high school the uh president omar bongo died and uh everybody was worried because he had been president for 40 plus years. Wow.
0: So dictator, more or less.
1: Well, yes. Yeah. He was, uh, I think the longest uh, running president, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, in Africa. And, uh, it was scary. It was scary because we were, we were in high school, you know, preparing for our exam, um, to graduate. And, uh, just before the end of the year, he dies. And everybody's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And luckily, it was a smooth transition. Part of their constitution uh, says that uh, if the president is uh, not capable of running the country, the person in charge is the president of the uh, assembly. And at the time, it was a woman, uh, so it was very interesting to see that actually, you know, black woman, you know, running the country um, for a couple of months until the elections, and uh, when the elections happen, uh, it was also a little bit worrisome because the son of the former president Ali Bongo uh, decided to run for president. And uh, everybody was kind of like against it because, I mean, that's his son, and also there's been rumors, rumors about him not being a legitimate son, and blah blah oh, blah. Oh, you know, here, here we go. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's his son. Mm-hmm. It's unless you can prove it with like facts, mm-hmm. then whatever you're saying is not relevant. Yeah, but you know, the elections went through. There was a little bit of. Uh, unrest uh, civil wise and I think the police and military had to intervene at some point Mm. however um, he was elected and now he's the president so I think the dialogue here with the US is definitely that you know while Hillary Clinton and Obama were competing in becoming president Well, we had a woman running a country in Africa. And I know like it's a big deal in the US to have a woman become president. And it's very, very, very disturbing when you look at other countries.
0: Developing nations.
1: Yes. Specifically in Africa who have been run by women. Mm. Women of color too. I mean, it's a different dynamic, but still, this country is, what, 200-something years yes, old? Yes, I
0: know. I know. <laughs> and, we're, and we're fighting. Oh, she has this backer. She's done exactly. this. It's like you're just shaming her. Yes. And I'm not to say that she was perfect because she was far from it. But yes. But come
1: on. Right. Yes. So that was the dialogue mainly. And, uh, you know, we were all watching the U.S. And we were all like, oh, my God, a black president? I mean, he's mixed And we can't ignore that fact. But still, when you look at um, the politics and around race in the U.S., he's considered black. You know, so that was pretty inspiring. That was pretty inspiring to be in high school and seeing it and be like, wow, Mm
0: -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is
1: this is going to happen.
0: You know, it's happening. It's happening in America. Finally. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then you get here and what do you notice? What's one of the first things you notice? Because going from places like Gabon or Mali mm. or black, there are just black faces everywhere. There are black right. faces in power. There are black faces who do mm-hmm. things. And yes, there are a lot of foreigners also that have a lot of power and mm-hmm. a lot of it's behind the scenes. Yes. Cough, cough, China. And <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's a different world. Yes. So what, what was it like coming to America and seeing that like racial uh-huh. perception?
1: I was kind of thrown off by the, I think it's when I moved here that I was like oh wait, I'm black actually yeah, that's the first time I had to tell myself like, girl you, you're black <laughs> you know, because I mean, I went to um, I went to a French uh, private school mm-hmm. uh, in elementary school so there were a lot of like white kids and white professors, white, white teachers in my school. Um, so it, it wasn't like a complex or anything like that because, I mean, there's white people there. But I just didn't experience the fact that because of the color of my skin, I would be treated in a different way. And I almost had to be very mindful of how I was you know, entering spaces and what I would do, or like my body language, or how I would like carry myself around. That was the first time when mm-hmm. I moved to the to the US, because it was just not wasn't even part of it your wasn't part of my mindset. Work, yeah, no.
0: And even when you went to a French school, like yeah. and in high school, what type of high school did you go to? It was a public high school. Okay, okay. it was a
1: public high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mostly like black, brown mm. faces. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, I had a lot of friends who were also going to like the French high school. Uh I I, I was always like in mm-hmm. around yeah. Like yeah. French people. Or whatever. People from, from all over. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um but it was still not quite the same. I think it was the other way around for them. Even then, not really. I think for them, it was just more like they were trying to assimilate and, you know, be part of like the culture and the conversations. And, you know, you'll be surprised by how they spoke. They spoke like us, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was the other way around. And when I moved here, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm black. You're black. I'm not Malian. I'm not Gabonese. I'm not. African, I am actually black.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? That's so interesting. Yes. Because it's, you know, the conversation of the African diaspora and, and being black is obviously one that's very prevalent, particularly mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. um, with what's happening in Ghana, the year of return, and, right. and how Ghana's opening doors to all people who are black to rediscover their history and their yes. past, which is, you know, beautiful. And then you have the fact that we are all part of the African diaspora, the black diaspora, whichever name you want to give it, mm-hmm. but with different backgrounds and different yes. histories. But America, one thing is so unique is that it doesn't matter where you come from, they'll just be like, you're black. This is, yeah. it's like, as they call it, the one drop rule. Like you mm-hmm. have a little bit, you're black. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not from Mali or Gabon or anything. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I, you know, I'm just going to group you all together, which mm-hmm. is so wh- horrifying because it's, it, it it and also very American because everybody mm-hmm. likes to assimilate as quickly as possible. Everyone wants to like differentiate, except for when you have to fill out those little yeah. circles, <laughs> like the little you know, like where are you from? Are you non-Hispanic? No. Well, then are you black? Are you Chinese? Are you whatever? I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm. but <laughs> it's it, it, it's so, it's something to note that it's that you all of a sudden that everyone just groups you together and you're like, we're not all the same. We're all we're, we're all connected. Mm-hmm but we have different you know, histories that make us who we are. And, and that's part of why this podcast is happening in the first place because we are all human beings and we all have different histories and stuff. But it is also important to note that those backgrounds also give us like a different tinge, like a different yes. like, view. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you started to notice that such American racism, <laughs> like you're noticing how you sit, you're noticing how you come across, you notice all these things. Mm-hmm. And do you think people are grouping you? Like what's the... Other question. What are people thinking of you when you say like, oh, like when you open your mouth, where do they think you're from?
1: Um, well, it's been varying over the years. Um, at first, a lot of people were like, are you Haitian? Cause you have a French accent. And I'm like, no, I'm not Haitian. And you know, a lot of people think like when they see me that I'm from the Caribbean, mm. um, it's not until like the recent years that people are starting to be like where are you from and I'll say you know Mali and they'll be like oh I know Mali mm-hmm. you know Gabon not so much because it's a smaller country um, but a lot of people are starting to be like I actually had one person guess right on mm. that I was from Mali and I was like oh wow you're good yeah, that's, you're like, <laughs>
0: very good yeah
1: that's impressive <laughs> very impressive but uh, over the years, it's been a lot of like Caribbean or Nigeria or, yes. you yes. know, Ghana. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think it's because that's just like.
0: There's so many of There's right. so many. There's so many. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that's
0: why. That's really a big thing. Yeah. I get Ghana a lot, which they're right. And then I've never gotten Nigeria. I've gotten France. Very all interesting. The time. All the time. Daddy they're like, I think you're French. And I'm like, why do you think I'm French? And sometimes they'll see my last name in Bonsu, or like Asabe Bonsu, and they'll be like, oh, it sounds kind of French. I'm like, perhaps. But other like people, <laughs> I don't tell them my last name. And they're like, are you French? And so in Spain, they thought I was French. And that makes sense. There's a lot of black people. And right. so I was like, I see your perspective, but I got that in Argentina. I was like, why do you think I'm French? <laughs> like, there's just something about you. It's like, I don't give up a French perspective. I'm like, where are you getting this from? And then here... <laughs> I've also gotten friends just randomly. It's just strange. That is interesting. And I'm just like, what are you What are you picking? Like, what is your thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then most recently, I've met people from Guyana, and people keep thinking I'm from Guyana. Which is, I didn't even think there was a large population of people from Guyana mm-hmm. until I moved here. And I was like, oh, wait, there's a lot of y'all here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, people just guess. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny, though. Mm-hmm. And someone guessed Molly. Yeah, because I, I personally would not be like, oh, Molly, immediately. Like, I would duh. I but you my dad, though, as the like little historian, he'd be like, you're Molly. Because like, mm-hmm. he is that type yep. of person. Yep. My mom would yep. be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, I don't really know. Um, but that's very interesting. So mm-hmm. you're beginning that. And would you say that like your accent has changed as you've lived here longer? Definitely. Actually, surprisingly, I've
1: met a few people in the recent years. And uh, when I tell them, you know, like... I'm from Mali, I grew up in Gabon, moved here 10 years ago. They're like, oh, wow, your English is so good. I was like, really? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and many people have guessed that, you know, I was, although I, you know, I was born somewhere else that I actually grew up here. And I'm like, no, I moved here when I was an adult mm-hmm. almost. And uh, it's it's been interesting To have people think that, but also I can definitely see that um, being in New York and uh, really investing myself into learning the language and, you know, being almost assimilate in a way that my, you know, my the way I spoke just
0: changed. Yeah, no, I mean... I feel like there's just like a, you have like a very faint accent and even if you had a heavy one, I don't really care. Cause that's just, I feel like accents make people, they define people in such a yes. beautiful way. And I like yeah. hearing one um, mm-hmm. or not, but uh, I think it's also very intriguing that, people will be like, you speak English so well. Because a lot of Americans really only speak English. And, and it is interesting. And that's a joke. Everyone makes jokes for Americans. are like, you only speak one language. I'm like, that's so true. Because most people don't even leave where they're from. Like, you know, New Yorkers yeah. don't, a lot of New Yorkers don't leave. Yeah. But you meet a lot of New Yorkers who travel a lot, but leaving New York, mm-hmm. people who are born and bred here, that is not common. No, it's hard. Yeah. Cause you compare every city to it and to like, it, yeah, there's nothing better. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie, New York's pretty fucking awesome. So I can totally feel why people yeah. feel that way. But I also th- believe it's so crucial to have that like other, like to have those experiences in mm-hmm. other countries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, you know, for you, you've immigrated and immigrated with an eye and, immigrated with an e mm-hmm. all over and mm-hmm. so you definitely have seen so many different things and you have family everywhere and like southern states which is very different yes um virginia southern i don't care what anybody says <laughs> uh i don't know it's southern i don't care it definitely and, has that vibe yeah, it definitely has that vibe and norfolk yeah yeah very um, <laughs> and then houston obviously is in texas and texas is texas like there's yes there's Tennessee and that's Southern, but Texas is Texas and Texas is a whole different country. Oh, it is. It really is. And, uh, I like to laugh because my family calls me the Texan because I was born there. My sister was born in Indiana and then Mm. they lived in California. Then they moved to Texas. Oh, wow. But I'm the one who was born there and Mm -hmm. lived in this and they lived in the same house. And They're like, Oh, you're the Texan. My dad's like, Oh, Texan. I'm like, (laughs) I hate you dad. I hate you. (laughs) He's like, well, (laughs) you are. He's like, that's where you're from. It's fine. (laughs) Embrace it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, it's. Funny, though, because when I think of my upbringing, a lot of my impact was my parents and then my cousins, as you know, like Mm -hmm. the cousins who aren't really your cousins, but they are your cousins. Yes. And they were from Ghana or they're from Ghana and and then always. And then I had, you know, people I grew up with who were also Latin American or Mm -hmm. Spanish speakers. So I had a lot of whether it be Mexican or Guatemalan friends and family Mm -hmm. members. So I spent time in their houses and then. India was also a, a common theme in Plano and mm-hmm. um, yeah so I just I grew up around a lot of different spaces and places and people and foods and so I've always right. liked exploring people's cultures their food in mm-hmm. their homes mm-hmm. love going to people's houses of different like wherever they're from and just like exploring it right in particular because you're like <laughs> What's, what do they have like where mm-hmm. are they bringing from whatever country yeah. their parents or great-grandparents are from yeah. so I love that but so, what did you find when you moved here? Because you made friends with Koreans. You mm-hmm. had friends who are, like, West African, I'm sure. Like, what mm-hmm. was, like, the predominant group or what was what were the people?
1: Uh, I found myself having also a few Japanese friends. Mm-hmm. And I started eating sushi.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: And, you know, my sister was very intrigued by me eating sushi. She was just like, why are you eating this how, how can you even eat this? <laughs> you know And you know I, I, I grew up watching uh, anime mm-hmm. uh, And uh, When I moved here And I was I started like Going more to like uh, On 30 sec- 32nd Street Which is a uh, Korean way I think And just Exploring the food there So much more Whether it's like Japanese food Or Korean food You know that definitely became a big part of my life up until this day you know i just i love japanese food and i also had a couple of indian friends uh and bengali friends uh and co-workers so that's also like a part of culture that i picked up and it was interesting to interact with the bengali friends i uh, specifically, because they were Muslim as me. So we. Oh, I did not know
0: you were Muslim. I knew your yes. brother was Muhammad, but like I did not yeah. know. Yes, okay. I am. Okay. Practicing?
1: Um, not quite. Mm-hmm. Not quite anymore. Um, but I, I was definitely raised, you know, Muslim and I still identify as Muslim mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like it's part of my identity. Mm-hmm. It's part of how I was brought up. Um, and I have, you know, very deep memories and uh, that directly relate to the religion. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to like uh, interact with people that are the same religion, but might be practicing it and uh, explore it in a whole different way than I was. I also, I I would say that I picked up a lot of like uh, different other cultures and food. I mean, I love food. Mm -hmm. So food has always, I I think food is one of the most easiest and also the most important way to, uh, immerse yourself in another culture. So true. I love it. It's, it's, I think once you have food, like food brings Mm -hmm. conversations, it brings communication, it, it brings so much to the table and our, you know, raised in Africa, um, food has always been like a a way to like show, you know, to to welcome people, um, a way to show appreciation, you know, for somebody else. So food has definitely um, been a, a vector for me in terms of like learning different cultures and, exploring and connecting with other people so true
0: and we're in the great
1: space for that oh yeah i mean new york is yeah it's everything yeah it's
0: everything for that (laughs) and it's everything for so many things (laughs) it's just so would you say that the economic or political situation is better here than it is in gabon or mali or would you say Mm -hmm. that it's almost similar what do you think i would say that you
1: definitely have more opportunities Mm -hmm. in the u.s Unfortunately, it's it's funny because I had this conversation earlier with my friend when we went to the Met. And we were talking about... um, She's from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Well, she was born in the US. Her family is from Mexico. And she was telling me about how she was on vacation in Mexico. And uh, all her Uber drivers were engineers and lawyers. and, And I was like, you know what? If I... Was to take my diploma and move to Mali right now. I would very much struggle to find a job. Very much. Because first of all, I was not raised in Mali. So I don't know the right people. My parents know a couple of people. But still, they would probably rather hire their cousins nephews and nieces before they give me
0: yes. a job yes whether nepotism is, is fresh yeah. whether it,
1: I'm competent or not that's not the issue and Mali is very 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 corrupted mm-hmm. very much um so when in terms of economics you even if it's harder and it's you know the cost of living in New York is much higher. Uh, you are still able to find a job that you know you can have access to you actually you, you actually have the opportunity to compete mm-hmm. you know when in Mali for example there's you're not really competing you have to work your way into being in the grace in the, the right. good grace yep. of certain people um so I definitely feel like I, you know, I, I have, I just have better opportunities here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Opportunities that don't exist, yeah. you know, in Mali.
0: And this is a common theme I'm hearing uh, amongst people. I was just interviewing my friend who is Thai Indian and I interviewed another friend who's also Indian and another friend who um, was from Russia uh, and just various countries and being in the in crowd Mm-hmm. knowing the right people like it's it supersedes if you're from there like yes. you need to know those people because nepotism and having that mm-hmm. like support is so crucial yeah in almost every country and it's important here as well it's often how wealthy people get one job to the next without yes. you know mm-hmm. if whether or not they have the background but in those countries maybe not even a very wealthy country if you do not know the right people yes um even if you're from there you really can't Get the jobs you want to have, yeah, and that's something that people forget. They're like, "Oh, well, you're from there; you go back, it'll be easy to get jobs." Like, no, 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 no. no, no, no. This doesn't work <laughs> like that. There's a whole bunch of like xenophobiaism and 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 yes. how they perceive you as like white because you left, or I mm-hmm. uh, have a certain type of yeah. you know, I mean, socioeconomic class and all that. So yeah. It's, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, I've been called the uh, the equivalent of uh, Oreo. Oh, so.
0: of course. <laughs> course me too it's fine <laughs> whether it be texas whether it be when i was in ghana and when i went that one time and they were like bruni bruni and i was talking to my cousin i was like what she's like oh that means white person they think you're a white person i was like but i'm not they're like no no you look western and you they think you're white so that's why they keep yelling it i was like but it wasn't just her yelling someone on the street yelling it, it was my own cousin yelling at me she was like seven she's like bruni i was like what girl no no and she's like well <laughs> so it's the perception it's 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 huge. And yeah. we always other ourselves. Even if mm-hmm. we all look alike, there's something else we're gonna separate. We're like yes. class, background. Yeah. How you say this word as opposed to other people, mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and in regards to you know, your your friendships with people who are Japanese and stuff, would you like to talk a little bit about anime? Because I feel like that's super interesting <laughs> and you should totally do your plug for your awesome awesome <laughs> company that you're starting uh, because, yeah, I my friend who I was talking to before is also an artist and um, mm-hmm. I just, I love hearing those perspectives and showcasing the fact that people from different countries and cultures are not taking jobs, but in fact adding a very <sighs> rich and layered of view and experiences and and mindset so feel free to talk about it if you'd like to
1: <laughs> so um i grew up watching anime you know we had this channel in gabon called manga mm-hmm. and that was just the thing everybody was doing so i didn't know being into anime was really a thing until i moved here uh and i was like wow that's you know that's the first time I considered the word nerd, and uh, I've, you know, since I moved here, I had more access to ja- the Japanese culture, which was very interesting. Whether it was like the food, the festivals, or the conventions, and I think because I have struggled with uh, my identity, I had to find a way to be an artist, you know, to be African, to be black and to be a nerd. And uh, I think that's where Nerdy Bay that I created um, came from because Nerdy Bay is me, you know. The other day I was thinking about how, uh, you know, my creative process and as part of my art, I always use mud cloth pattern, which is really representing the Malian side of me. And uh, when I look at my logo that I created myself, you know, I painted it and I put it next to my little mud cloth, um, you know, table cloth that I have at home. And I was like, oh, my God, it really looks similar. Right. So I could definitely see the African artist in Nerdy Bay. And because I'm a nerd, I mean, I enjoy anime i enjoy you know books and i'm a cosplayer and i think because of all these identities i've been in like uh blurred black nerd um spaces and uh, i enjoyed myself there but i still felt like an outsider because i'm african you know there's definitely a side of me that's kind of like, but I want to come out too, you know? And uh, so creating Nerdy Bay, you know, as a brand that would celebrate, you know, the intersection of being African and being nerd, is just, it's been liberating. It's been liberating to create my own word that I can invite others in, you know, versus having to, going to other words and try to find a place there. What I'm doing with Nerdy Bay is really just opening the door to a different word, um, but still celebrating the fact that, you know, I'm part of the Black African diaspora. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I don't want to be a part of that. I definitely do. I mean, it's affected me and my creative process, but I feel like I want to add to the cultural exchange Mm -hmm. when it comes to the black diaspora. I think it's okay and it should be it should always have been okay for us to come together celebrate each other whether it's our similarities or differences. We don't have to all be the same. We can be different but still respect and love and consider each other. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That is a Perfectly said and quote about just making spaces and cultural spaces for yourself and for other people like you, um, mm-hmm. and making it just like an, uh, an open community. Very like, very lovely. I love that, <laughs> and I'm excited. I cannot wait to see what is in store with Nerdy Bay. So, yes. <laughs> uh, and I did want to ask you about dating, was like. <laughs> because it's too good. You know, it's just too good. <laughs> and I yeah, it is too good because as a Black woman, as an African woman, as just any just dating in general yeah. is tricky in New York City, but I'm super curious to see what that was like for you getting here because you are mm-hmm. fresh, you know, attractive, smart. You're like going to school, you're meeting people. How did that like feel? Cuz dating is it's so fun when you're moving and you're new and then as you know the city more people start trying to, like, say kind of the same things they said before. Like, mm-hmm. I can show you, like, I've already been here. <laughs> it's like, what else do you want? So, like, how do, like, dating men, and what's that experience been like for you, and how did it feel? So, it, it was a
1: struggle, because I, like I said, my mom is Fulani, so I had I had a few uh, Fulani um, relatives mm-hmm. in Gabon, and uh, a. a was interesting growing up in Africa, being skinny,
0: mm-hmm. petite. Oh yes, honey, you're you a tiny little muffin. Were they like, Yeah, oh, she's too small"? Yes. Yeah, they do not do skinny there. No, <laughs> they think you're starving. My, yeah,
1: my, my whole my whole childhood was about why don't you eat? You should eat more. Look at you, you're so skinny. You're not gonna find a husband.
0: Oh yes, it's a bit. They like that. Yep. Like, why are you trying to say that when you know I eat normally? Like- exactly.
1: And and I am dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was a struggle mm-hmm. being told that you know I didn't have the right body type. And uh, actually, um, a lot of people were telling me that um, the only type of man that could be interested in me would be white frenchman yes yeah that, that was a thing growing up that that was a thing so when i moved here already my confidence in like my body was uh pretty low and i think that's something that uh cosplay has helped me with you know being able to cosplay any fierce character that you know is like sexy and smart and like, the first character that I cosplayed officially was uh, Ryuko Matoi from the anime called Kill I Kill. And her, her uniform is, like, a, a short, like, a crop top um, with, like, a very mini uh, skirt. And it was a big deal for me to, like, wear that in public and go to a convention. It was huge for me. But, you know... I got out of my, you know, it's. since I moved here, getting out of my comfort zone has been the thing for me to do because I was conditioned to like, you're skinny, you're too skinny, you're too dark. Nobody's going to be attracted to you except white men.
0: And it's weird that that's where people went. But the whole "being too dark" thing, even in African nations where yes. there are dark people, and we are not yeah. the darkest. Oh, I'm no. Sorry.
1: Oh no! Oh no, no! No doubt,
0: we are not the darkest. The fact <laughs> that that all. is still even a comment that comes out of people's mouths mm-hmm. is is like sad. I mean, and who, and who where do you think that comes from, though? I
1: think it's colorism, oh. and it's it comes from colonialism, oh, yo,
0: girl. Preach. Because yeah,
1: Preach. because you know that historically, the lighter you were the more attracted you were considered because you're mixed to a little bit of like white blood. Mm-hmm. So dating has been challenging when I moved here. And also I was like, I'm shy. Well, I was mm-hmm. shy. So I didn't really meet people like out there and I resorted to like dating apps.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm on those right now and it's just such a I was just talking to a friend about it and she goes you know and she's very happy in a relationship now mm-hmm. we used to reminisce about like dating and I was in a relationship still and getting out of it and now I'm out of it and now I'm like okay I want to date but I don't really want like a relationship I'm not in the mood but dating and exploring the city totally down mm-hmm. even that, Yeah. even that
1: even that can be challenging because yeah. I feel like uh, the last time I used uh, a dating app, you know, I was just like, you know what? I don't really want to um, go out and be on a date with a different person every other day. And, you know, I've it's interesting that um, I was on dating apps and a lot of the people who were interested in me were white.
0: Mm. Wait, is this like all apps?
1: Uh, well I was using specifically uh, OkCupid.
0: Okay Cupid. Okay, Cupid, yes, white men. Okay, but yes. there's a thing. It's a thing I'm noticing. Okay a lot of white men and then hinges a lot of black men for me. I don't oh, really? know, it just I, and I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's what you put in your profile, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. Oh, sorry, continue. It's not about <laughs> it.
1: continue, continue. But but you know, I, I I went on dates with like indians with uh, Uh, Caribbean people, um, people from all over, really. Um, but, uh, I only had maybe, like, two serious relationships out of, like, dating apps. And, uh, I just, at some point, I just felt like, you know what? I'm not really gonna find the person I want to be with, um, on a dating app, uh, and it's very interesting because I, um, when I met my partner, I was getting out of a relationship, right? I think I, I had broken up with somebody like maybe three, six months before I met him. And uh, at the time, I was not even looking for a relationship. I was just like in this space where I wanted to you know, go out, enjoy myself and do things that uh, made myself happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to the Black Comic Book Festival at the Schaumburg. And that's where I met him. He was tabling, trying to sell me a book. And I was like, bro, I just spent like so much money. I'm not going to buy your book right now. And he gave me his information, invited me to one of their events and uh, sorry i started going there because obviously it's it's very funny but i'm like legit their target audience yeah you are so yeah. <laughs> so you know i started going there and um somehow we ended up going on a date it's awesome and uh you know i think we, neither of us was really expecting a relationship out of this um but it's been almost 2 years now And uh, it's been uh, a good and interesting journey. But I definitely know that, you know, when I was like in the dating world in New York, it was just
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: overwhelming, sometimes very overwhelming. Yeah. And especially because I was like. Working, going to school, and it's like, do I really want to have a date on a Wednesday night, or do I really want to just go home and relax? you know but um I, I, I mean I don't regret I don't regret it, but I can definitely relate to the fact that uh, dating in New York is challenging,
0: especially as a black educated woman. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And who you attract also is, yes. is, you know, often if it is a white man, you can tell that they, or well, they'll tell you they've had it like they've dated black women. I'm like, OK, great. <laughs> I mean, the, the,
1: the, the, the thing that was very um, interesting and almost offending to me was uh, this white dude uh, messaged me on a dating app. And at some point in the conversation was kind of like. Uh, hate chocolate and I was like Bitch, no, I'm not talking to you again No, like never <laughs> I was like why how what so that was kind of like part of like the
0: yeah no yeah don't say it to me on the street don't say it to me yeah don't yeah. say it to me anywhere yeah <laughs> Ooh, people are gross and yeah. they think what's a, a socially acceptable or you know equating you to a piece of of a suite or something like it's yes. something endearing it's not endearing I don't yes. like it
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so yeah that's an interesting story to say the least um <laughs> would you say that um you know after that like obviously dating you, you get to learn about other cultures and other people and yourself as well mm-hmm. and you know you realizing like you're black in America and, and how that and that like Framework and what that is in America Which is just a very sordid And difficult Mm -hmm. history and past Did you feel that you would take any of your Background from being From Mali, being being Gabonese, did you feel like that was ever In play a lot here or no? It definitely was,
1: first of all Because of my name, a lot of people were like Where are you from? And I would tell them You know, I'm from Mali, grew up in Gabon Moved here in 2010 They were like, oh shit, that's really Awesome, blah blah blah. And then they will learn that, you know, I speak French and that would definitely turn them on. Like, oh my God, can you tell me something in French? And I'm like
0: It's a language that's people weird.
1: and related to language. Um, you know, I don't quite get the obsession with with French that some people have, but I mean that's probably because I'm privileged because mm-hmm. I it's my first language, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I would say that um, the fact that I was different definitely, like, brought more attention because people were just intrigued.
0: You see my face? If somebody (laughs) would see my face, I'm just so annoyed by, like, say something in French. Like, fuck off. Like, this is my language. I also speak English. And guess what? You would probably pick up another language, too, because you can. But the fact that people exoticize. Exactly. Exactly. Ooh! It it's it's sometimes it's fun when you are dating in a new place. Other yeah, times yeah, yeah. you're like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all
1: right. I mean, when it becomes like a a thing with like every other person you talk to, then it's like, all right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, let's let's talk about something else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the only thing that I'm about. This is not my only story and yeah. I have many, so let's let's broaden our minds a little bit. That's really very poignant. And so <laughs> special. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other impactful things we've discussed. So many things. Is there anything you'd like our listeners to know about Malaya Gabon or New York or your life and or anything else impactful?
1: I mean, I would say that go ahead and explore. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid. Africa is big. Mm-hmm. I uh, went to Senegal. Uh, for the first time in may June, and uh I loved it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was at home, but not quite not quite at home because it's Senegal is also different than Mali, although it's you know close by it's still very different, and uh, I'm excited because I know that there's many other countries in Africa and all around the world that you know I want to visit so I would say that, you know, don't let fear or economics, because there's ways around traveling uh, on a budget. So do you explore? Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and look out for Nerdy Bay, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important for people to explore Africa. And explore in general. Yeah. Uh, and it is a very intimidating continent because mm-hmm. it's a continent, not a country. Yes. And it's so, and every country is different and they all have a different history and culture and language and impact globally. So mm-hmm. when people are like, oh, like, is that country dangerous? I'm like, every country is dangerous. And to be honest with you, if you're from, pardon me, Dallas, it's more dangerous than New York. Oh, yeah. And more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more homicides in Dallas than there is in New York. It's strange. It's not strange. It makes sense, but it's also you change your perspective. And then when mm-hmm. people, you know, when people think of Liberia or they think of right. Senegal, they're like, oh, well, Ebola or what's happening here. It's like these are very like particular places. Yes. It's not the entire country, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you yeah. need to. And doing research and reading is so important, so as well, important, because uh, you'll learn more. And and then you know, reaching out and you know eating the food and there's so many tours and I have a really good friend who is French and she loves you know going to countries and trying the food Mm -hmm. and so she goes on the tours and she goes to the tours with people who are from there yeah she's like I would like to learn about you know she lived in DRC for a while and Mm -hmm. she is Like a colonist She worked in real estate And I I like Called her out for that I was like Do you realize Like what you Like what 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 people are like Seeing when they see you there She's like Oh I didn't even think about this Like yeah (laughs) But what I love about her Is that she's so adamant About getting To like the people From the country And trying the food And like really Putting them on social media So Mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point I'll be interviewing her Because she is a lovely Human being And um, yeah No I'm so grateful That you have Made time for me to so let me interview a second Night time. Pleasure. There was a little issue last time because I didn't <laughs> quite know what I was doing with my equipment and there was, you know, being a beginner. But the story was rich and layered and definitely displayed the difference between immigrant emigrant. And yeah, watch out for Nerdy Bay and watch out for this podcast. All right. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>